Well, good morning, everyone, again. Sorry, I had to... I've got a, I've got a early allergy thing that's happening in my throat, so I'm a little bit deeper and raspier today. I apologize. I don't mean to rock and roll that much. It's just, it's just the season. Ezekiel chapter 24, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to complete this chapter this morning and thereby complete the section that I referenced last week, um, which is the section of chapters 12 through 24, which pronouncements of judgment on Israel, on Jerusalem, on God's people. And it's going to... Um, it's going to end this section and then move on to a new one beginning in chapter 25 that will begin next week. Um, we noted um, last week in our study at the beginning of chapter 24, just to kind of, by way of reminder as we go into the next, um, the, this last section here, that um, the siege of Jerusalem began right at the beginning of this chapter. We're given the day, the time of year that it happened, and so um, the end has begun. That siege that the Babylonians laid on Jerusalem, this is the final one. This is the one that's going to leave Jerusalem in ruins. When the Babylonians finally break through, they're going to burn the temple. They're going to take the remainder of the people into exile. They're going to kill many of them. Um, this is going to be God's punishment on his people using the Babylonians to get that done. And um, the king of Israel, of Jerusalem at that time, is going to um, do some foolish things and, and pay the price. And so basically... All of the things that God said, I'm going to do this to my rebellious house. To this rebellious house, these are the things that I'm going to do. All that he said he's going to do, he is going to do. Um, And that's exactly what it says in verse 14 that we ended with last week. I, the Lord, have spoken. It is coming. I will do it. I will not refrain. I will not show pity. And I will not relent. I will judge you according to your ways and deeds. This is the declaration of the Lord God. God says he's going to do something. He absolutely does it. We should take him at his word, right? We should take him at his word, and that applies to all of us right here in this moment now. Before we begin uh, this final section of Ezekiel 24, uh, we've mentioned this many times. Ezekiel is not an easy book to teach through, and there's certain passages that are more challenging than others. Um, As I was looking at this text, preparing for this week, the Lord put on my heart John chapter 9. And it may seem like an odd place until we get into this a bit, and you'll kind of see, I think, why the Lord put this on my heart and why he had it for me to share with you guys this morning. John chapter 9, when we look at this, it gives us the ability as we begin our passage in Ezekiel 24 to start with Jesus. I like starting with Jesus. I like looking at Jesus because a lot of times when we look at Old Testament prophecy, we can start getting into all the things that are being levied out against God's people, and it starts to get you down in the dumps a bit. It starts to beat you up a little bit. And we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and remember that we have hope in Christ. Amen? We need to keep our eyes on Jesus through the midst of those things. That's important. And so I want to start with Jesus this morning, and this is how John chapter 9 begins. As he, speaking of Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The rest of the story goes, if you read the rest of John chapter 9, it really stays focused on both the healing of this blind man, his interaction with the Pharisees, and then eventually his salvation. It's a really cool story, and, but that's not what we're here to study. What, what I really want to call out and point us to this morning, kind of for context or for, for foundation as we go into the second half of Ezekiel 24, is this, verse 3. As the disciples asked Jesus, what happened? Because this was a very common thought in that culture that if somebody was born blind, they had either done something, were going to do something, or their parents had done something to cause this to happen to them. Who sinned? The disciples asked. Was it his parents? Was it him? Whose fault is this? In other words, it's a way of them almost alleviating God from the responsibility. Right. You're going to take responsibility from God. It's, it's us relieving God going, well, okay, there's got to be a way to explain this. How many of you have done this before? You've tried to explain what God is doing away. Oh, only like five of us. That's awesome. So, <laughs> liars. So here, here's the thing. 
we oftentimes we try and figure stuff out, don't we? We have to figure things out. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. That's like my tagline. I have to figure this out. You know, like, what's wrong? Don't worry, honey. I'll figure this out. She's like, I'll call the plumber. You know, like, it's because here's the thing. We feel like we have to figure out whatever's going on. We're going to figure this out for God. Why is this bad thing happening in my life? Now, I'm not saying, and Peter talks about this in one of his letters. He says, listen, make sure that you're not being punished because of sin. Make sure that what's going on in your life is not the result of sin. But what's interesting is that suffering will still come even for those who are not living in sin. Things can still happen to us even though we're not in sin. Now, we should be sure. We should be examining ourselves. We should know that whether what we're going through is the cause of sin or not. But what's interesting is what Jesus says here. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Well, then why the blindness? Why is he blind? This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. You see, God was doing something completely different that the culture wouldn't understand. God was doing things for his own reasons. Some people go, that's harsh. No, we are nearsighted. We are nearsighted and we, we see physical. God sees eternity. God lives outside of time. God sees things on a scale that we just try to comprehend. You see, he's working on a scale that is altogether different than ours. What's interesting is we look at this story. We look at the story in John chapter 9. And I encourage you to read that chapter. It's super encouraging and, and awesome. We look at that story and we'll take no issue when it comes to how this man was born blind, because why? Well, he gets healed, and then he comes to spiritual sight, right? First, he's healed of his physical blindness. Then Jesus leads him to this spiritual awakening, right? Where he actually, at the end of the chapter, is worshiping Jesus as God, which is awesome. It's a powerful picture. So most of us would look at this and be like, well, I'm okay with that story. Why? Well, the blind man gets healed, and, and you know... um, and then he comes to salvation, and it's awesome. It's super encouraging. I love it. Yeah, me too. What, uh, what do we do when there is no happy ending? How do we handle it when there's no happy ending? When we don't see this come to a nice, pretty package with a bow on top. I don't know about you guys, but my life doesn't very often come down to this situation where it's all perfect, and everything is as it should be. You know, and just the second that you think it's going to be that way, what happens? All your appliances break, right? I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but like either, <laughs> you know, when, when things start going, when they start breaking, they really start snowballing, right? Our washing machine broke a couple months ago. And so uh, we, had to, we had to get a new one. That's cheap. And then um, it was funny because I looked at my wife and I said, boy, I sure hope our dryer doesn't go right? Our dryer started making sounds that I imagine no dinosaur that ever lived. I'm not kidding. We recorded it. My wife sent, sent me a video one day. While I was sitting at the church studying like a good little Christian boy should. And I'm sitting there studying at my desk and she sends me a video and goes, it started making a new sound today. Ah! It's ridiculous. It sounds like something's dying inside my dryer. And it's ironic, isn't it? Right when you think that, oh, new washer, it's so quiet. It's so wonderful. It's actually cleaning things. Dryer dies. And you know, we, 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 we fix the dryer. We get the dryer thing dealt with. And I always look at her and go, what's next? What's going to go now? My car died. It's okay. It, it'll be fine. We'll fix it. <laughs> but the car died. It, there's always something. That's my point. There's always something that's not, not tied together. It doesn't have a pretty little bow on top. Our lives are always going to be this way. You're like, this isn't what I came to church to hear. I want to hear that it's all going to be okay. It will be when you die. <laughs> Is that what you wanted to hear? <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? It'll all be all right when I die. You guys, what do we do when our lives are filled with suffering and tragedy? What do we do then? Ezekiel lived, I would say, arguably, the most hardcore life of a prophet. 
Now, we know that some of them died hardcore deaths, but here's the thing. Ezekiel's life was a life of pain. It was a life of suffering, and he's going to suffer in a way that's so heavy. Well, you'll be thankful that we were laughing at the beginning. Because here's the thing. Life isn't always giggles. Life isn't always fun. Sometimes it's suffering, and it's struggle, and it's pain. But there's hope. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter this morning. took me a long time to get there. Ezekiel 24. Let's start in verse 15 where we left off last week. We'll read the first handful of verses here. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. But you must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Groan quietly. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. Put on your turban and strap your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. Ezekiel now speaking, I spoke to the people in the morning, and my wife died in the evening. The next morning, I did just as I was commanded. I don't think there's any doubt, as you begin this passage, how Ezekiel felt about his wife. Because God recognizes, he says, I'm going to take the delight of your eyes. He loved his wife. And God tells him beforehand, he says, I'm going to take her. And it's not going to be for no reason, but is any reason difficult? Is any reason horrible to think about? There's something in this passage as I was reading this that stuck out to me. He says, I'm going to take the delight of your eyes. Can I just, as an aside, very, this is a really short rabbit trail. I promise. Someone chuckled. <laughs> yeah, right. Those don't exist with you, sir. No, just really briefly. Guys, if I may, your wife should be the delight of your eyes and no one else. Your wife should be the delight of your eyes. You should have eyes only for her. This is a picture of a really loving husband. The delight of your eyes, your wife, that's the one that that you are looking to. And, and women, the same goes for you and your husband. That's harder to say because we're gnarly looking. But, but here's the thing. As people who are married, our spouse should be the delight of our eyes. We should not have eyes that wander or that look for others. They're for each other and each other only. There's hope even in the wording of this as Ezekiel receives this terrible news. Think about how verse 16 is worded. Son of man, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. Is she away from the Lord? Is she being cast off forever? She's being taken. There's hope even in the words that the Lord is speaking. I'm going to take from you. I think for believers, this is a really powerful reminder. It's a reminder that those who go on to the Lord in Christ, that there is hope. We've all experienced loss. We've all lost people that we loved. There is hope for those who go to the Lord's arms. As Paul would say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there is, there is so much encouragement to think about the people that have died in my life that I know are with Jesus now. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 14, Paul speaking to the church says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He says there's hope. There is hope for those who die in Christ. Through Jesus, through him, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That doesn't mean that we don't grieve. We don't grieve like those who do not have hope. It means that our grief is different It's based on something that's eternal. It's based on the absolute guarantee that those who are in Christ will rise again. 
that our souls live on, that we're knitted together with God, that Jesus has purified us, that his sacrifice was sufficient and that we are cleansed. We do stand righteous before God. When it comes to grief and lament for believers, Ephesians 1 verses 18 and 19 says this, I pray, Paul said, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. That's not just for here, that's our guarantee for then. That's our guarantee beyond. We are hoping in his calling. We've been given an inheritance because of Jesus, not because of our own works. None of us can boast. We've been given this great promise as believers. That's super encouraging for those who have died in Christ, isn't it? That's super encouraging to be built up in that. So how do we process, how do we handle it when we lose people, when we've lost those who don't know Christ? How do we handle that? How do we get through that? Because I have some of those too. It's a much difficult, much more difficult pill to swallow. But we aren't alone. Did you ever think about how much it hurts the Lord when people choose flesh over him? When people choose death over life? We aren't alone in our suffering. We aren't alone in the pain and the hurt when we go through loss. And here's the thing. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 4 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you know what's amazing about that? Two separate things in that verse. He comforts us in how much of our affliction? How much? All. Whatever it is. He comforts us in all our affliction. There is nothing that you are facing that God cannot comfort you and walk you through. There's nothing that you have lost that God can't walk you through that healing process, walk you through moving on through those things. But here's the thing. He not only is walking us through that, he's also doing it so that, verse 4, he comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Do you like the all any? All affliction that we go through, any affliction that others are going through. You see, his all enables our any. Does that make sense? His all in our lives enables us to do that for anyone in any affliction. He's going to enable us to do that for others. So here's the question, Christian. Are you allowing God to comfort and walk you through trials, suffering, pain, all the things that you've gone through, not just so that you can survive, it's not about you surviving. It's not like, I think I'm going to get through this and then I can just sit. No, that's not why. He's getting you through it so that you, so that those who are comforted by God may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction so that we can go and offer that same thing. He says, I'm going to walk you through this so that you can walk others through it. You see, what you've been going through is not just for character to be built within you. It works for that, but it's also so that you can be the person who is there for someone else. It's so that you learn through the process, so that you can help someone else through it. Because we are the hands and feet. We are the body. We are how God is working in this world. He has chosen to use us. And that's why when you look at the body, when you look at the church, you're like, it is going to take an act of God to get this thing done. Yep. Absolutely. That's why he didn't leave us as orphans. Otherwise, we'd just be wandering around. No, you see, the Lord gives us his spirit. He teaches us. He trains us. And then he sends us out to do that for other people. You shouldn't be trying. And I've said this recently many times. You shouldn't be trying to grow in your sin. You should be growing out of your sin. You should be maturing out of these things so that you can help others, 
so that you can be the person who comes alongside somebody else. You see, you're not going through this for nothing. You're going through it so that you can grow and help others. So that you can be an example of what it looks like for God to work through tragedy. You see, that's what God's doing in Ezekiel. No matter what pain you're going through right now, no matter what suffering you are struggling with, God is big enough to comfort you. He is strong enough to bear your pain and your hurt. He can handle it. He can comfort you through it. If you're like, God just isn't here for me right now. That's not a him problem. That's a me problem. That's not God's fault. If you're like, I'm just at the end of my rope. How many people feel like you're at the end of the rope all the time? I'm just at the end of my rope. I can't handle anymore. God's like, you're right. Actually, you've been off the rope for a while now. I'm holding you. So you should just trust me and ask me to continue leading you on. Because you can't do it all. Our lives are spent learning this over and over again. You can't do it all. You can't move on. You can't process. But God can do it through you. He can heal you. And what he wants to show the world around you is that he's the one. He's the only one who can do this. That's what he wants to show your friends and your family. And you're like, I'm just not moving on. Well, you better start representing Christ then. You better start trusting him. You need to settle into him. You need to lean into him. No, it's not easy because there's flesh in the way. Maybe that's why Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Stop trying to do it on your own. Just follow him. Do what he says to do. Let your life be stamped with his, with obedience to him. Your obedience to God in the struggle, in the suffering is vital. It's always vital. Not only for your own sake, but for the sake of those that he wants to reach through you. We get so caught up in looking at what we're going through in our lives that oftentimes I think we, just in, in, in the, the sphere of influence that I have, we get so caught up in getting our own lives straight that we forget that we're not supposed to be focusing on us. Should we be concerned about our lives being more holy, about our lives pursuing after holiness? Absolutely. But that desire and that longing, that filling of the Spirit enables us to look out. It enables us to look to others and to seek to influence them for His sake. Ezekiel's loss wasn't pointless. His obedience in this was so important. It was vital to God speaking accurately through him. You realize when we don't obey, we skew the message of God. When we disobey, we skew his message that's supposed to be spoken loud and clear through us. Ezekiel had a calling. He had to trust God no matter what that calling was going to require of him. He wasn't going to be allowed to grieve publicly. This is a specific thing for him. He was not going to be allowed to grieve this loss. He was commanded not to lament or weep or let his tears flow for his beloved wife. God said, if you're going to groan, you do it quietly, inwardly. But here's how you're going to go about your business. This needs to be striking. This needs to make a point quickly. He was told not to observe the traditional process of mourning for his people. And here's the intense part. Here's the part that's huge. He obeyed. I spoke to the people in the morning. My wife died in the evening. It's so succinct. The next morning, I did just as I was commanded. I did exactly what God told me to do. Do you think that was easy? No way. Didn't matter. He did exactly what God told him to do. He understands, and I hope we get this, church. I hope we get this. God's command is bigger than us. God's commands are bigger than us. It's more important than me. When God says something, when he commands something, that is bigger than my life. Maybe that's why so many laid their lives down to obey him. It's bigger than our lives. 
I can't love anything more than I love him. I can't love anything in my life more than him. And this is the point that he's making. If Ezekiel obeys, which he did, the point that comes after this is to show the people where they've gone wrong. Because he's going to say, look at Ezekiel. He's a sign for you. He has to obey to be able to show the exact point that God wants to make. And do you realize this? When we disobey, if you are being disobedient to God right now with something in your life, you are misrepresenting him. You're misrepresenting him. That's not condemnation. That's a call to action. It's a call to fall into obedience, to get into line, to fall in with what God's doing in your life. Are you dissatisfied with things that he's given you, commands that he's given you? I don't care. I had to think about it before I said it. I don't care. You shouldn't care if I don't like the things that God's called me to do. P.S. There's plenty of things that he asked me to do I don't like. You shouldn't care. What should you call me to do? Obey. I don't care if you like or dislike what God has called you to do. I'm going to challenge you in the exact same way because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are together in this. I'm going to call you to obey. We must walk in obedience. The church must be stamped with obedience, not with being modern, not with being relevant, not with having the best technology, not with the fog machines. We need to be remembered for our obedience because it is there that we represent Christ accurately. Amen? Let us be marked. Let us be stamped. Calvary of Rastrum with obedience. People who do what God says. Will that make us popular? No. No. Don't care. Can't matter. We love people enough. To show them exactly what God's trying to say to them through our living, through our actions. Ezekiel did it well. It doesn't mean that loss doesn't break us. Church, it doesn't mean that you won't feel the pain, that you won't suffer. It means we entrust ourselves to the one who can remake us. It means that we give ourselves to the one who will raise us. Amen? Because it's at that place of desperation where you say, God, I can't. He says, I can. It's at that place where you come to the end of yourself and you're sick of your sin and you're tired of trying to push on on your own that God says, this is where I kick in. You see, throughout my life, so many times when I've hit the end, I've realized that God was the one bringing me there so that he could bring me out. Not so that everything would get great. He was going to show me how to deal with it his way. God spends so much of our lives stripping away from us our own plans, our own methods, our own ways of doing things so that he can show us a much better way. You know, I'd love it if we could just fast track to that much better way by obeying his word. Maybe that's something we can do together, church. I'd love to see this church taking leaps and bounds forward in the calling that God has on our lives because we aren't having to go through this stripping away thing. We just drop to our knees as a body and say, take it all. Just take it all. Use me however, whenever. And we don't just say it. We live that way. We don't just say it when the powerful music's playing. We say it out there at work. We say it in our homes. We say it in our schools. We say it everywhere we are. God, use me in this situation. I mean, you've had those situations, right? I can't do this. Am I the only one here? You know, it's like, it gets to this place. I can't do this. Every Sunday morning I have to teach. That's what I'm saying back there. I can't do this. I don't feel like I can do this. I never feel up to it. That's how God wants it. He wants us in that place because that's where he empowers us and says, good, now that you're empty, let's have a little fill up. That's where the power is. That's where the spirit works. And that's where he gets to take all the credit. So that we can't look at people and be like, oh yeah, I was, I was so confident. Just walked up there and just nailed it. No, we should never say that. Everything I am, everything I do, everything I can do is him. It's not me. He fills us so that he can use us. So that he can speak through us. And he's called us to be examples, to be a sign of who he is, to be those who represent him well through obedience. 
Verse 19 says this, Then the people asked me, Won't you tell us what these things you're doing mean for us? So I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 21, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the desire of your heart. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Then you will do just as I have done. You will not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your iniquities and will groan to one another. Now, notice verse 24, Ezekiel will be a sign for you. You will do everything that he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel's obedience to God in the midst of his wife dying was so striking because it was so complete as he obeyed God's command that it it garnered the response that was intended. What is the matter with you? Why aren't you mourning? Why aren't you weeping? You're dressed like any other day. You're not wearing the grieving garments. You're not eating the grieving foods. You're not going through this whole process like we would normally do. What is wrong? What are you trying to say to us, man? Because the people had had looked to Ezekiel for some pretty drastic things. Ezekiel put on like a, a civic theater for them of all these things that God was trying to speak to them. Tying himself up, laying on his side, acting out little plays. He's, he used allegory and, and parable and he's used so many different things to speak to them. And they're looking at him going, has he cracked? Is Ezekiel broken? I mean, he's not even reacting and his wife died. So he gives them the Lord's message. They're about to do everything that he's doing, but their source of grief will be the loss of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. So why not allow the people to mourn? Why are they not going to be allowed to mourn the fall of Jerusalem? God is making a statement about sin. He's making a statement about sin. The Mosaic law did not call for mourning over those who were justly executed for their crimes. There was no call for mourning for those who were justly executed for their crime. And so, the citizens of Jerusalem had no right to mourn for the just execution of their city. God did something so drastic that hurt Ezekiel to make this point clear. This is serious. This stuff matters. I don't think after studying through nearly 24 chapters of Ezekiel that any of us would try and prove that God was unjust to bring judgment down on Jerusalem. I think after all these chapters, we've kind of figured that out. Not only how he feels about it, and we, hopefully, we all should agree with him about how he feels about it, but all the examples and all the pictures that he said, this is how gross your sin is to me. None of us would try and justify Jerusalem. None of us would try and justify what they've done. I don't think any of us would try and prove God wrong. I hope that not in any aspect, but when it comes to this specifically, when he allowed the temple to be burned by the Babylonians in 586, when this happens, and it's going to happen, as the siege has begun, when it happens and the destruction comes, none of us would look and go, God, you really shouldn't have done that. I think you're wrong. You know what's funny is I love saying that out loud. I love saying that out loud. Why? First of all, I don't mean it. But, but the reason why I like saying that out loud is because it shows you how ridiculous our hearts are. Because we in our hearts so often will look at God's word and go, eh. better. Right? I once knew a person who scratched out parts in their Bible they didn't like. It's funny because some go, oh, and others laugh. <laughs> You've done it. You are horrified by the idea. But think about this. I'm just kidding. You're like, I would never, ever. I hope not. But here's the thing. Isn't that us though? What's interesting about that is I, I like bringing that up because I, I laugh about it now. But well, what's funny about that to me is we act like that's so horrific. Like there's some 
strange power in these pages. Now, the word of God is living and active and is powerful. But this is a book. And if you scratch it out, does that change anything that he has said? No. So what good did you do? None. You just messed up your Bible, man. And hopefully later when you're convicted, you're going to go get a new one because now you can't read a good part. <laughs> you're like, it wasn't a good part for me. doesn't matter. I don't care if you disagree with it. You shouldn't care if I disagree with it. What should matter the most is that we obey. Here's the thing. When you look at it and go, I really, I don't, I don't know what God's doing right here. I don't know how he's doing this. I don't know how this, this works. When we get to that place, and we do in our hearts, do we obey anyway? Do you really think Ezekiel understood why God had to go to this extreme with his wife? I mean, a logical thing for us to say in our minds would have been like, God, couldn't you make this point another way? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's kind of has some validity in my mind. Does it matter what's going on in my mind? No, it doesn't. What matters is that I obey, that I follow what he says. Oh, just blindly obey? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't blindly obey God. We have all the evidence around us of why we should obey. We have all the evidence we need of why we should walk with him, why we should obey his commands, why we should submit to his authority. And so when he says to do something, we do it, no question. He's given us more than enough evidence as to why we should trust him. And he's given us all the hope we will ever need in Christ on the, on the other side, hasn't he? We have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Why? Why did Ezekiel's wife have to suffer in this way? Why did she have to die? Had she, you know, committed some egregious sin? Be honest. And you can answer this in your own heart. Do you question God's goodness when bad things happen? Do you question the goodness of God when things aren't going your way? Even asking the question, why am I here? What's the point of my life if all I do is suffer? Start to cry out like Elijah. Everyone hates me. I want to die. God's like, eat up. You got a long journey ahead. Jonah. I'd rather die than allow God to do what he wants to do. You see, Ezekiel wasn't like that. Ezekiel Ezekiel becomes a sign for the Lord. He speaks not only the Lord's words, but he's revealed through his actions the message the Lord has sought to convey to his people. That's bigger than Ezekiel. That's bigger than me. That's bigger than you. God's word is bigger than us. It's funny because we, we quote this often. But it's, I don't know if we really get it. I don't know if I fully get it. I hope that God takes me on to more and more maturity every year. But Romans 12.1 is such a well-quoted passage, and it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do you understand what sacrifice means? Do you understand what that's saying? He says, this is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. When you lay your life down. What do you think a living sacrifice means? Take your life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, your trials, your triumphs. Place it before God as an offering. All of it is for your glory. All of it is for you. None of it's for me. Now we can say that, but do we understand what it looks like to live that way? Ezekiel just gave us a very sharp image. You commit yourself and obey God, even if he takes the thing on this earth that you love the most. You see, because Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right when he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him to come and lay his life down. And hopefully most of us know that Bonhoeffer was a man who died before he was released. 
from the Nazi prison camp right before the end of the war. But Bonhoeffer sure gave us some great words, didn't he? When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. That's easy to say. Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to lay your life down for obedience sake? Some suffer as a result of sin. Others suffer to be a sign. Others suffer to be a sign that reveals God's plan, his abilities, that points to our creator and declares, as it says here, when this happens, you will know that I am the Lord God. When this happens, you will know who I am. That's more important than who I am. That's more important than me. The sooner we get that straight, the more accurate of a reflection of our Savior we will be, the better image bearer. When we realize that we are not trying to reflect me, my desires, what I want, even the things I think I deserve, I deserve nothing. But I have been given everything in Christ Jesus. This is not an Old Testament principle. It's a New Testament reality. This is a church age experience. It's not about us. It's about bringing glory to our Savior in whatever circumstances he has allowed in our lives. Are you bringing glory to God through every circumstance that he has allowed in your life? Let's wrap this up. Verses 25 through 27 says this. As for you, son of man, know that on that day I will take from them their stronghold, their pride and joy, the delight of their eyes and the longing of their hearts, as well as their sons and daughters. On that day, a fugitive will come to you and report the news. On that day, your mouth will be open to talk with them. You will speak and no longer be mute. So you will be a sign for them and they will know that I am the Lord. I want you to notice something at the beginning of that in verse 25. What is their stronghold? I mentioned this last week. If the thing that you love the most can be taken away from you, you have an idolatry problem. If the thing that you love the most can be taken away, you have an idol. And so what does he say? Right here in verse 25. As for you, son of man, know that on that day I will take from them their stronghold. What does Psalm 18 verses 1 through 3 teach us? I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who was worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. Who should be our stronghold? God should. No building No city, no person, no situation, no other confidence. God is my stronghold. Anything else that can be taken away from you is an idol. Any other fortress will fail. The people of Israel trusted in created things rather than the creator. It cost them not only the things they loved, it cost them the people they loved. Their sons and daughters will be taken as well. On that day, he says, he prophesies, on that day, a fugitive will come to you and report the news. On that day, your mouth will be open to talk with them. You will speak and no longer be mute. So you will be a sign for them and they will know that I am the Lord. Yet again, he repeats that statement. They will know that I am the Lord because I said all this was going to happen. I gave them all the signs, all the pictures, all the reasons to believe me. And then I did everything that I said. I did everything that I told them I would do to prove to them, now you will know that I am the Lord. This prophecy is fulfilled in Ezekiel 33, 21 through 22. When he says that this fugitive is going to come and that his mouth will be opened, it'll mark the end of Ezekiel's silence, save the word of the Lord that was given to him way back from chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. God had told him, you will not speak, your tongue will stick to the roof of your mouth, except for when I give you word. Then you will speak what I say. Everything else that you have to say? No. You will only speak what I tell you to speak. That's going to end. Ezekiel's six years of proclamations of judgment will end. 
and a new ministry of consolation is going to begin because God's going to do everything that he said he would do. Beginning next week in chapter 25, continuing on through chapter 32, we're going to look at these pronouncements of judgments against the nations around them because of their influence on God's people. But I want you to realize that we're going somewhere with this. That there's going to come a time where his consolation will come. And here's the thing. We are in Christ Jesus now, church. We have received his great consolation, his great comfort, his great enablement, the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We shouldn't be crawling around on the ground in our sin. We should be coming to the foot of the cross, receiving cleansing from the blood of the Lamb. Ezekiel's prophecy is not easy material. These are not easy things to walk through. God didn't have us do it alone. He not only gives us his spirit, but he gives us each other to walk through these difficult things, these struggles in our lives, people to encourage us. But not just that, he gives us hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 Paul speaking, by the way, who we really can't compare ourselves to when it comes to suffering. You can read his roster. I believe it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All the things that he suffered. Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. They're not worth even comparing to it. They won't even hold a candle to what's coming. That, brothers and sisters in Christ, is really encouraging news. There is hope beyond what we endure. Here on this earth, there is hope beyond it, and that hope is in one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. That is all of our hope. His salvation, his promise. We can endure the trials and sufferings of life and be at peace within without Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one that calms our storm within. And if you're looking to any other thing to do that, your situation is about to get a lot worse. Where you're at right now, if you think it's bad here, if you're not turning to Jesus, it gets worse. Oh, you may think that you can numb the pain for a season, and you probably can. That gets worse. It will only digress apart from Christ. Only in him can you be healed and grow. Finally, just one final word. One of the most encouraging passages of scripture. Jesus in the upper room discourse, John chapter 13 through 17. He ends with the benediction and prays over his disciples in chapter 17. But before he prays, he says this to his disciples. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Church, would you please hear me? As Jesus said this, be courageous. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. He is bigger. He is more powerful. His abilities are beyond anything of this world to bind us. And so if you hurt, turn to him for compassion. If you're lost, turn to him for wisdom. And if you see things on your horizon that you don't know that you can handle, entrust yourself to the one who is able to do all these things and be an image bearer through obedience. That's our calling. We share that one together. I'll say it again. Calvary Rathrum, let us be stamped as a church that is obedient to God and God alone. Amen. Lord, we turn to you this morning as we worship. And God, I don't know what's going on in the lives and the hearts of the church right now, but you do. And so, Lord, as we just take a few minutes to sing your praise, to prepare our hearts, Lord, Often we talk about preparing our hearts to come and to hear your word taught, but Lord, we we ask that you prepare our hearts to go and live it. Maybe there are some circumstances that are too big for people here. God, I ask that they would come for prayer. 
Lord, that as, as the elders come forward to stand at the front on the sides and as others who feel just the calling to come and to pray with people, that you would draw those who need to come and be encouraged with whatever they're going through. Maybe this feels too big. Maybe this feels too heavy. Maybe the cost seems too high. God, would you reaffirm to them through prayer and encouragement of the body and your Holy Spirit, God, that you are bigger than our issues. You are stronger than the things that we're going through. And God, we don't have to understand why. We just have to know who we serve. Remind us this morning of your power. God, your word says that your eyes, they seek over the whole earth. They're looking back and forth over the whole earth for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to you so that you can give them strong help. And so, Lord, we cry out to you as the father of the son who is who was possessed by this demon and just wanted his son to be free. And Jesus, you looked at him and you said, all things are possible for those who believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, would you help me because I struggle with doubt? Would you fill me with your spirit and give me understanding again, Lord? Because we understand that we're saved by you, but we struggle with the process. We struggle with the sin in this world. Lord, it drags us down. It stains us again and again. Jesus, would you wash us again this morning? We confess our sin. And Lord, we absolutely agree with your word and ask that you fulfill it in us because we know that you always do what you say that you will do when your word says you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come broken. Heal us. For the pain, comfort us. For the loss that we've experienced, would you console our hearts? Not just so that we can move on. Lord, so that we can help others. Give us the willingness of this prophet to do everything that you've told us to do. To let our lives be marked with obedience. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, let's just take a minute and ask the Spirit to work. Anyone who feels that they want to pray with someone can come up. And I encourage those who feel stirred to come and pray to do that. Body, let's minister to each other this morning. Let's serve each other in this way. Maybe some of you are on the other side of that really tough struggle and the Lord has given you comfort and he's filled you with that comfort and compassion and you need to pour that out on someone. Let's just take a moment, let the Lord speak. Draw us, Holy Spirit, to a response.